So did you grow up on a farm in Illinois? I did. I did, in fact, grow up on a farm in rural southern Illinois. Hmm. Because I'm from southern Indiana, so that's funny. But I'm, I didn't grow up in rural Indiana. What was that like? Very different than the city in L.A., that's for sure. It's a lot, lot slower, a lot of, a lot of row crop farming, as I'm sure you know from Indiana as well. Yeah. So it's completely different types of farming as what we have out here in, in the hill country. There, there's no you can't you can't farm row crops out in out in the hill country you're kind of restricted to use cows sheep goats etc was there a lot of heavy sprays where you were at because I, I so i worked on a farm last year in pennsylvania and one of the guys he's from illinois and he'd always talk about his neighbors just spraying just galore chemicals he, that would just seep over to there where they're at too yeah i mean from what I understand, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about row crop farming, but from what I understand, whenever you, you know, you're you're completely all in on that monocrop farming, you're you're kind of tied down to spraying all of the the chemicals and pesticides, and not to mention most of the most of the cats around there where you're from and where I'm from, they own heck, they probably don't even own the thousands and thousands of acres that they farm their row crops on, but they're basically tied to these big corporations like DeKalb and whatnot. So that they don't even hardly run their own operation. They're, they're tied into that whole, that whole system of spraying pesticides, chemicals, fertilizers, and whatnot, just to keep the corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans. And then they strip the soil of all the, the natural nutrients that it needs to actually grow real plant life without all the sprays yeah so i know you're a big reader have you read meat racket i've not heard of it but it sounds like i would like it no you really would i i just started but on the topic of just like the farmers not really owning anything it talks about the history of tyson foods and how they're essentially just modern day feudal lords to where um they had this beautiful package for farmers in arkansas and they provided them the chickens and the land to, to really lease on, but they had to just follow the plan. And if anything failed, they pretty much got screwed over continually. And Tyson just got bigger and bigger, more power. And um, there's just some wild and terrible stories that just wreck the farmers there because they have no control over that. And I actually just talked to... Uh, one of my earlier episodes this week, she moved over from England. She was studying on um, mad cow disease, but she's from here. Her and her husband came to Vermont, and they wanted to start a sheep farm and really teach on, on cheese making, but then just start importing these sheep and uh, just trying to get the, that sh- population growing in America because at the time it was very low, and I guess it's still pretty low. Um, and as all that was going on, the USDA really essentially, they were trying to get funding from Congress to get a new facility in Ames, Iowa, and it was $450 million in funding. And they pretty much made, uh, their, the three shepherds cheese. They made them the scapegoat. They took all their sheep. Um, this was around like 5:30 AM. She mentioned that 42 f- armed federal agents came up to their door took all their sheep, uh, quarantined their farm for five years, 
and they were able to get that funding from Congress, and they have that beautiful new facility in Iowa because of that. And it's just, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's just wild how a lot of that stuff happens, and that really opened up my eyes because I, I have no background in farming at all. I switched into this whole world last year, and yeah, that a lot of these things have just woken me up to just what the hell is going on with all of that. Well, I mean, it's it's just stories like that that just you know kind of explain exactly why the small farmer is you know dying out in this country it's because of stuff like that we have so many you know governing agencies over us that kind of take all the power away from the small farmer and we can't do things the way that we want to i don't say i shouldn't say we because i i do things exactly how i want to (laughs) but you get the point so the farm you grew up on what was that experience like I mean, I, I, I sort of ex- explain my family, like, have you seen Sons of Anarchy probably? No, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a very matriarchy, if you will. Like, all of the women, you know, they run, they run the show. And then, like, my uncles, my cousins, my dad, all the, all the men in the family, they run the farms. Like, run all the land. Uh, we raise cows sheep goats hogs did some row crops um it was really just a a source of us raising our own food for the for the entire family and then we would also hunt as well um that was pretty much it it wasn't a a business at all it was just raising our own our own food Hmm. so because i know you started your ranch two years ago is that three three years years yeah did you, in between that time, did you think you were ever going to go back to doing anything like that? No, I I never thought that I'd be back farming or ranching. I'll, I'll also include that, you know, my, the way that I view farming and ranching, the way that I view the world really has changed a lot since, since then. Um, you know, from the military to living in a busy city in L.A., to then just moving out here with Ramey, you know, farming for me has just become a, a completely selfish endeavor, really. Um, just a means of providing the best quality nourishment for myself and my family and then my direct community, very, very close friends. Um, you know, that's it, really. Hmm. So I'm curious, how long did you were you in the military for? Four years. Because I remember listening to your podcast with Harry and Brett, and so to add context for me too, I spent six months of 2021 as my brother's caretaker, and I remember all all that was for six months was just being at home and taking care of him and taking care of my mom. I didn't really, I didn't have a social life, I didn't, that's really all I focused on for six months, um, and I remember trying to come back here after all of that ended. And since then, the only time I've had true inner peace was whenever I was on that farm. And I'm curious, because four years of that, and then coming back here, I know I'm kind of glossing over a lot of things, especially not talking about anything with L.A. Is one of those things that brought you to farming? Or, like, do you, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going with that. Does that resonate? No, I see. I see the parallels that you're drawing, for sure. Um, 
I mean, there is there is some inner peace and solitude in in farming. Obviously, it's it's very peaceful, quiet, tranquil. There's plenty of you know manual labor to be done, and that's one of the biggest things that I find with a lot of guys, sort of in my circumstance, getting out is we got to stay busy. We got to keep our hands busy. We got to keep our minds busy. Otherwise, we just we spiral. We spiral, and you know, even just having your hands in, you know, with a pair of pliers fixing a fence, it's like you got that one single task in front of you, and you're just solely focused on that. There's no other distractions. There's no real noise, and you have a clear purpose every single day that you wake up. That's another thing. It's like sometimes we get out of the we get out of the Marine Corps. You know, we had a reason we had to get up every day, um, whether we, whether we accepted what that reason was or not. Like we were being forced up every day, but but whenever we get out, some of us don't really have much of a reason to get out of bed, and we don't have much of a direction to our life. And so, like when you got hundreds of animals to take care of every morning, that's your reason to get up and get after it. Yeah. So it's refreshing. So after. <clears throat> The military ended. Did you go straight to LA, or what brought you there? Yeah. So, my getting out of the Marine Corps was was kind of abrupt for me. I was kind of a I was in kind of a strange uh, limbo where I had just gotten back off a of deployment, and I was I was uh, kind of being tossed around as potentially getting extended to be a, a combat instructor in, in Twenty Nine Palms, and so you have like a like a twenty day window where you're where you're getting out as a civilian and my 20 day window was getting eaten up by, you know, not being sure if I need to turn in my gear and start, um, getting all like my medical, uh, appointments and checkups and everything. So you got a bunch of stuff you got to do before you get out. And so that was all getting eaten up. And then it was like, you know, six to seven days before I was about to get out and they're like, all right, you're not getting extended. Go turn in all your stuff, get, get all your paperwork taken care of, get all your, your uh, medical appointments done and here you go you're a civilian now you know get out of here pack up your bags that's it yep pretty much and you know it's funny because you know when we're when we're in you know all of us we can't wait to become civilians we we can't wait to just do whatever we want and it isn't until you actually become one that you're like man this is whoa you go from you go from having every order given to you every single day every hour of the day really like when you're gonna when you get to eat how you're gonna dress every day what you're doing to like I can dress however I want like shoot where am I gonna eat where am I gonna find food there's no chow hall in the civilian world um anyways I'm getting a little sidetracked but I wound up in Los Angeles because all I really knew was that I wanted to do something in fitness and where I was from in rural Illinois, not a lot of fitness going on there, a lot of farming, a lot of beer drinking. So I definitely wasn't going there. Uh, Los Angeles, people with money, a lot of fit people. So I packed up my bags, tossed them in my car, and I drove to L.A. and just kind of started figuring it out from there. Do you remember whenever you first got there what that feeling was like? I do, yeah. Um, I mean, I went straight to to Venice Beach, and I didn't have any. I didn't have a place lined up to live or anything. Luckily, the Marine Corps prepares you for homelessness like nothing ever would. 
especially with the beautiful year-round weather you get in LA it's next to nothing so I, I wound up up in Venice Beach uh, near Gold's Gym the Mecca and I was just slumming it around there sleeping on the boardwalk sleeping out of my car until I sold my car because I realized really quickly that having a car in LA was not it wasn't great with the traffic and the parking and everything else so I sold that dang and then so how long were you in LA before coming here well from 2014 until 2020 so was it six years yeah yeah how did that path lead you to to coming here and farming that's a really good question well uh like i like i was saying farming for me has just become you know a, a way of closing the gap between the way that i eat and i guess that could have you know it started whenever i was in the city by just you know seeking out local small butcher shops that i could like see where the cows were being raised where they were coming from grass-fed this that um you know it, it kind of started there and then it you know after meeting Ramy, you know she had a house and a yard and everything and we we loved to cook together and i i can't explain exactly why or how it happened but i just w one night i i just started collecting up all the fruit and vegetable scraps from us cooking and dug a hole in her yard and just created a compost pile and i i still have pictures to this day still of just taking pictures of the dirt and the compost i go out there and like hoe it up and rake it around and just there was something fascinating to me about the way that 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 soil was was growing and living and then from there planting fruits and vegetables like tomatoes um berries in that soil that i'd been throwing compost in for weeks and weeks and weeks and then from there getting some chickens and having those in the city even though i was not supposed to just so that we could have our own eggs there was just there was something there there was something there inside me that just wanted to be able to start to take part in the process of my own food if you will and yeah. so it was those little bitty tiny those little tiny things that just kind of led into one another I like that a lot because I had never visited a ranch or a farm or talked to anybody in the space. I'm 29 now, and I think it was until last year, so 28 years, and I just realized how disconnected I was. And then when I first, I, I went on a big road trip last year and, and visited some ranches, and I just remember having that first meal that all the food was produced on that land and just being out in the land in itself, I just can't describe the feeling. You just feel so connected to the natural environment to where I, I think that also just adds to the inner peace part. Um, just because as I, I grew up in a middle America suburb and then I moved straight here after college, so I never really experienced rural America or just that type of land. And even in the context of L.A., you're still able to get that peace, which is really cool and why... 
people should just look into just doing something as simple as having just a small little plot of garden or chickens because it just gets the wheel spinning in your head. And as you see the full cycle happen and you get those eggs and then you eat them, uh, yeah, I, I, the feeling is just... I think kind of what you're what you're describing is it's like your your food you're taking your food from being just an a, a consumptive thing and whenever you're kind of immersed in that process it's more fulfilling it's more nourishing it's a it's a sense of nourishment because effort was given in in the attainment and the preparation of it you know yeah and I think what you're saying so Actually, what you're saying there is something I've been thinking a lot about because, you know, since starting this, one of the biggest questions that I've, I get from a lot of people and I'll, I'll category, I'll, I'll categorize a lot of these people probably as, you know, just kind of the same way I was living in the city. And the first thing they want to know is like, how many acres do I need to, you know, raise like cows and sheeps and goats and this when they're probably still just going to Ralph's or Walmart or whatever box food store and, and buying, you know, their packaged produce and everything. When, you know, the whole idea of like farming, homesteading, ranching, whatever you want to call it is, is about less dependency. It's about self-reliance. And so even if you are in the city, you can still start to cut the amount of processing and processes that need to happen in order to get your food, you can cut them down by, you know, giving out more effort in the attainment of your food, whether it's like reaching out and trying to find a local farmer and going and like buying the food straight from them. You know, you cut out so many processes just doing that or going to the local farmer's markets and buying your, your, your fresh produce. Like so many people are like, how do I know what, you know, what fruits and vegetables are seasonal, seasonal produce, well, easy, go to the farmer's market, whatever is for sale, those people are growing that right now. It's in season. Yep. It's so simple. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you don't need to jump zero to a hundred because you'll get in way over your head really quick. You can start to take those tiny little steps. It's funny that you mentioned that because whenever I was sharing everything, I was working on the farm, uh, people were really resonating with that, but then also a lot of people would just fantasize about the farm life and not realizing how much goes into it. Because uh, no matter what the weather's like, you gotta take care of your animals. It doesn't matter if it's a Saturday and you had plans, if animals had other plans for you, you gotta take care of them. Uh, and that just adds a whole nother deep appreciation for, for all of that because you're from the beginning to the end of the whole process. Um, and again, that's why I had wished it didn't take serious health consequences of my family to open up my eyes for all of that. But that's why I'm, I'm doing the Renaissance in the first place, because I'm noticing more and more people are, are waking up to that same thing. Um, I mean, even just in, in the context of grocery stores, just the amount of bone broth and there's more bone marrow and you can get nose to tail organ blends, all of that has made a huge resurgence. And I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how this continues on. Cause even in regenerative agriculture, I had not heard of that word until last year. And even just reflecting on the last almost 18 months from that is growing really quickly. Oh yeah. And I, I kind of get 
a little bit of a more firsthand view of that as well with with Ramy going back to LA and whatnot. You know, she's she's noticing the the Airwans, which Airwan is like a bougie <laughs> Whole Foods where all the I don't know, all the it's so expensive. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> but anyways, that's a that's one of the big the big marketing terms now is like regeneratively raise this or regeneratively raise that. Um, I would argue that most people probably don't even know what that means. But Not you know, but before regenerative, it was sustainable, sustainably, and really, I think what we started to realize was well, sustain means to keep the same so if we're if we're if our farming practices are sustainable and we're keeping the same we're pretty much screwed because the way that things are right now are not good so we need a new word regenerate make better okay make better is better so we're going to use that word so whenever you first i guess there's a two-part question um so you're in la and you decided that you wanted to have land um what made you choose where you're at now? Well, Ramy uh, Ramy was born and raised in in the city, so you know, upheaving her from from that in straight into the boondocks was is a big culture shock for her. Um, so, Dripping Springs, it, it was kind of like the the happy medium for us, like. We have Austin right here, which in within, you know, touching distance for her. It's like maybe an hour drive and we could get enough land where we can farm and ranch. So it kind of worked out perfectly. That's all. Is the place that you're at now, did, was it previously, uh, was it a, a farm or ranch previously? Yeah. I will say that our... Our property was just absolute gem of a find. And I'm starting to notice more and more now that properties like this are becoming very, very hard to find because the first thing that'll happen is, you know, whenever big developers or whatever find these properties, the first thing they do is just level the old farmhouse and then just, it's like, well, it's an old, it's an old farm and ranch house with several hundred acres that they've been running cattle on that several hundred acres is just going to be perfect to throw up like eight to 10 acre tracks and eight to 10 acre tracks is like the perfect ranchette home for like the people with money coming out of the cities that want to have a little piece of land. So what I'm trying to say is our place was just unadulterated still, you know, we have all the all the farm and ranch infrastructure from like the 1960s. It was a Longhorn working ranch. So I've got all the cattle working shoots and everything like that, that I've converted to be able to work sheep and cattle. Um, and the house was just so wonderfully redone that Ramy just loved it. Mm-hmm. So it worked out well. That's awesome. So you guys moved in. Did What did you start f- first with? Well, I started first with with cows and to be so starting out first we we only had 20 acres and you know coming out of the city 20 acres is a lot it's a lot but then also you know because this property for you know 
40 years was just trampled on by cattle cows over and over and over and over all of the pastures all around me are were just super overgrown with invasive plant species the soil's completely degraded it's not growing very good grass i didn't have nearly as much context as i needed to have so you know i started out running six cows out there i noticed like they just they weren't growing they ate all the grass down and they just weren't performing well so at that point i kind of had to come back to the drawing board like figure out what am i going to do with this with this land that i have because cows are not working very good for me right now so i had to figure out what i was going to do with my operations so then i made a switch over to using goats to clear out all the brush but then also tapping into um dorper sheep which are an african sheep breed and they just absolutely thrive where i'm at right now and they're just they're they have far less impact um on the soil as as what cows do and they just they eat all the brush the weeds they eat everything so for the goats you that probably was interesting to watch because i had learned about goatscaping and that is just wild to watch that you could have all these invasive plants and you just set your paddock up and the the goats will just do their thing oh yeah goats i mean they eat like prickly like barbed bushes and just thorny stuff they eat it all but they're they're just i i don't have goats anymore goats are just a real real pain um they're real pain so i don't mess around with goats anymore they did their job for me and they went on can you give an example oh my god <laughs> so for example right now my my our our lawn our our front yard is just bright bright green right now from this rain that we got but also i frequently cycle sheep onto our lawn to graze the lawn and everything so i don't ever have to mow or weed eat or anything because the sheep just they'll eat all the weeds up against the house and the steps and along the driveway and they just they eat eat the grass down to a perfect little length and they're they're pooping add nitrogen into the soil working it all in goats on the other hand they'll be climbing on the porch they'll get on the roof they'll climb on your cars they also they also get their heads stuck in fences and whenever you got hundreds of acres of you know pasture with with fencing and you got goats with their heads stuck in the fence all the time it just starts to become a real pain um, so you can't use goats for any of that. And then if, if they get out into the yard, they're climbing on cars and stuff. That's a problem. So we don't, we don't mess with goats anymore. No, that's funny because yeah. the, the first ranch I ever visited, they had goats and I guess they would kind of feed them a little bit whenever moving. And there'd be one in particular that would just run right at you oh, and yeah. just headbutt the hell out of you to get their food. Yeah. Well, and then that's the thing too. It's like the way that I'm using my animals is my animals work for me and and a lot of the time when you're trying to work with goats and you start feeding them that candy sweet feed they'd start to get lazy and they're just laying around they turn the cats yeah they're <laughs> kind of useless so so whenever you were looking at sheep were there other breeds um yeah i was just curious in that thought process to what and the first part was what made you want to switch to sheep outside of i know is the goat portion but were there any other things that you were looking in particular to to have in terms of the value of a sheep? And then the second part would be 
in terms of breeds, where yeah, what were you looking at, and what made you decide on the one that you have? Well, Dorpers are incredibly drought hardy, being that they're an African breed, like I was saying. Um, so they just they perform really well in the environment that I'm at. That's kind of something that a lot of that you can't really learn from a textbook, maybe, but all farming is is contextual really so like you know what i did in illinois none of that has any carryover to where i'm at now um so like the certain species and breeds and the way that we we raised animals there they don't work here whatsoever so that's essentially what i had to figure out with sheep was i needed to find a drought hardy a drought hardy animal that would be able to perform and then regenerate my soil while I was at it. Um, because I was starting to realize very quickly that in order for my animals to thrive, in order for my animals to be healthy, to give me good, healthy nourishment, that is directly dependent on the quality of the soil. Because the, the quality of the soil is going to dictate what kind of, you know, what kind of plants and grasses I'm going to have growing for them to eat. If my cows don't have anything good to eat, they're not going to grow and they're not going to yield me any good beef. So I needed to go back. And then so sheep, they would make use of that really crummy brush on the pasture and then regenerate the soil all while they were at it. And, and then I can come back behind them and throw cover crops behind them so that I can grow, you know, grow some better grasses behind them to rotate them and keep rotating them. Um, and then also... Another big plus with Dorpers is their their meat is like the top quality lamb meat. So it's like the Angus of lamb meat. Mm. Yeah. It's got a really, really good taste. So the way that I kind of explain it to a lot of people is if you've ever had like a rack of lamb and it's just got this super, super distinct gamey taste, that is due to the lanolin lanolin is it's like a it's from the wool so wool breed sheep have lanolin that gets in the meat and then that's what gives it this like super distinct flavor dorpers are a half hair half wool sheep so they don't have that distinct flavor their their flavor is very 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 good very sweet do you have any sheep for milk no because I've been told time and time again that's some of the best milk. I've yet I've never tried sheep milk. I would say that's got to be like a super, and that's got to be like a super niche thing. And then also, you know, another thing to look at is you know what you're raising them for. If if you if you have those sheep and you're looking for them to be producing milk, they're definitely not going to be getting the nutrients that they need off pastures around here. Mm. You're going to be supplemental feeding them in order for them to be producing milk and they would not be able to, you know, keep up with that on pastures out here for sure. You bring up a lot of good points cause I'm in the middle of reading Will Harris's new book, mm -hmm. a phenomenal book so far. And he was talking about <clears throat> whenever he studied at the university of Georgia in 1972, his degree was technically called uh, animal husbandry. By the time you graduate in 76, they change it to animal science mm. and it made me think about just the terminology a lot and how with industrial farming and monocropping and how it's become really science tech techno focused. And you were just talking about how 
with agriculture, it's so context dependent. Like you're saying, everything in Illinois is different from here. And it's just so fascinating with just the, the, the industrial farming and how it's just one size fits all. And then just the disastrous consequences that have happened because of all that. Because there's another book, Dirt, Erosion of Civilizations, which really opened up my eyes to a lot of the famines that have happened just in ancient civilizations have just been from overplowing and a lot of the same things that we do now and what caused the Dust Bowl. I'm not too sure where I'm going with that. It's just crazy how the further we we steer away from the natural environment, how much we suffer from it. Well, it's, I mean, it all started, I don't know if you've read Wendell Berry. Not yet. I have you, his Unsettled Living America. You have to. You absolutely have to. It, it, it all started with a lot of what he was pointing out, and, and the sole thing was that food became a burden to us. And when food became a burden to us, it started making headline news that one American farmer can now feed 10,000 people. That's awesome. That's great. So now we don't have to burden ourselves with food or anything. Everything can be taken care of, uh, t- taken care of for us so that we can become doctors and lawyers and pharmacists and, and everything else. And, you know, not everybody needs to be a farmer. Not everybody wants to be a farmer. Not everybody needs to be a farmer. But, you know, I think there's a direct correlation between the relationship between us and the procurement of our food. And whenever we're viewing our food as a burden in, in the preparation and the attainment of it, that's where we start to get a lot of those ill consequences. And monocropping, I, I, had a, I had a hard time understanding the term monocropping for a long time, but that, that doesn't just apply to you know, corn and soybeans. That applies to people that just run cattle or just run one species of something. There's not, there's nothing nearly as wrong with that, except for whenever you start to condense those cattle to a feedlot or those cattle just working the same exact pieces of land over and over and over and over again. It's like whenever you zoom out and take a big picture look at like the the African um, plains, it looks that way for a reason because there's such a diverse amount of species that are they're grazing it, working it, and they're all adding and taking, adding and taking. And so whenever we begin to monocrop and just run the same animal species over, that's when we start to have like pests and diseases and our animals are less healthy. The soil is far less healthy. We're stripping it because they're eating only the same plants off of the soil over and over and over again but you know obviously with with regenerative agriculture it's the it's the best way to do things but at the same time the people who are doing regenerative farming they can't feed the world they can't feed that many people we have a lot of people to feed so we have to use systems to feed them all that's the kind of predicament that I've noticed. It's like people who do what I'm like, I always tell people like, I'm not farming to feed the world. Like I'm not farming to fight climate change or anything. I, I farm for purely selfish reasons, honestly. And the way that I do it is, in my opinion, the, the best practices, you know, focused on animal welfare and regenerating the soil. And I get good quality nourishment and so do my friends. But, you know, at the same time, 
I can't feed very many people doing it that way. Nobody can. So I'm curious, do you, since you're three years in, do you plan to, I guess, what's your plan with that? Out, do you just want to keep with what you're doing or do you want to, to add more different types of animals or cont- continue to expand or? I mean, right now, knock on wood, I, I, I finally think that I've found like a good, a, a pretty good um, flow of things. I find that pigs, sheep, cows, they, I, I found a good little system where they work really well together in, in the, the, the method that I use them. I don't think that I want any more. I don't need any more, really. Um, so my, my plan really is just to keep regenerating the soil cause I, so I can keep raising healthier animals and raise my family doing that. And they get to reap the rewards of that as well. So what's the system like to where they just work so synergistically? I don't even know I mentioned that word right. I mean, to be clear, there is there is no synergistic things that are happening. It's, I don't want to use the word chaotic, but it's complex, as nature is complex. And so whenever you're trying to replicate nature within fence lines, it's very complex. Every single animal species has a different relationship with every other animal species. And they also have a different relationship with the environment that they're in. Example, sheep need guardian dogs. Guardian dogs don't understand that they're not supposed to kill chickens. They also don't, they also can't distinguish the difference between a feral hog on their pasture and my domestic hogs that I'm raising. And so when using these species, I have to constantly be kind of like scheming how I'm going to be moving my sheep from one pasture to another to move my pigs over onto another pasture while also not letting my dogs into a place where they can get to my chickens on the other pasture that are turning over the soil behind everything else. Um, That's just one small little example. And you're doing this all by yourself? Ramey helps me to her utmost capacity, but 97% of the time, yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking because whenever I worked on the farm, <clears throat> I just remember there would be a couple of times where how their farm layout was in the middle was the houses where we stayed and some of the crops and then just two giant hills, and they'd use the hills as paddocks for sheep, turkeys, chickens, pigs, and then cattle. And there'd be a couple of times where I'd look over and the cattle have just gotten out. Mm-hmm. How are you able to do that by, by yourself? I'll tell you, I've, <laughs> over the past three years, I've developed an immense amount of patience, an immense amount of patience, but then also, you know, uh, a little bit of, of an acceptance that there are things that are within my control and a lot of things that are not within my control, especially in the context of, of farming and whenever I'm trying to replicate nature. So there are a lot of things that will be demanding my immediate attention, but I have to learn how to prioritize everything every morning when I walk out the door. Um more often than not, 
if you find yourself racing to find a solution, it's probably not the right one. I've found that my best, my best decisions and my best actions, if you will, have, have come from, you know, detaching, taking a moment, looking at the whole situation, observing what's going on and then, and then responding accordingly, you know, has that patience translated to just developing just patience overall for every aspect of your life? I would like to think so. Cause um, I know you've mentioned, you mentioned on Brett and Harry's podcast, um, how in LA that you just, you're saying you weren't pleasant to be around no. and, uh, was that just from anger? I think it was a lot of things. I mean, you know, like I was saying a little bit earlier, it was kind of an abrupt, you know, sh uh, an abrupt change from the Marine Corps into being a civilian. And, you know, I, I went zero to a hundred immediately becoming a civilian in a busy city, trying to figure out living conditions, how to make money, how to get by. Um, you know, I never, I never really took any time at all to, to process certain things from the military or reflect or do the things that I needed to, to, to grow up as a, as a human being, really, uh, just kind of suppressed a lot of things. And I was more or less a ticking fucking time bomb, to be honest with you. And so, you know, yeah, there's a, there's that analogy of like, you know, if you run into a, if you run if you run into one unpleasant person, what is it? I'm sorry. If you if you like if you run into one jerk a day, like they're the jerk. But if you keep running into jerks all day, like you're probably the jerk. Yeah. And so that was essentially me, and I I needed to I needed to come to terms with that. Has just being out in the land helped with just I guess with those suppressed memories and I guess emotions, has that helped just go through that? Because that's, I, that's why I also mentioned in terms of the peace of being out in the farm, because I had suppressed so much with my brother and mom to where whenever I'm in the city, I don't know, it's just way different than just being on the, the farm to where outside of whenever you're doing all of the, the madness and chaos, and taking the time to just sit there and all you just hear is nature, that made me just, I'm trying to figure out how it even felt. It just, I felt true peace, and that's the only time I've truly felt at peace the last three years. There's a lot of, so maybe chaos isn't the right word for, you know, managing all the animals and whatnot, because... It's not stressful. That's what it is. The, it may be chaotic. It's not stressful because I'm I'm passionate about it and I'm doing something that I love. And so I think when we're in the city, you know, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of noise and we're bombarded with stimulation. We don't really have that solitude to actually like take a deep breath and, and reflect like what you're talking about. It's like pure solitude that you can just sit alone with yourself and your thoughts and just you know, come to terms with things. And, you know, with, you know, with, uh, with the chaos of, you know, moving animals all the time, there are also a lot of just really incredible moments. Like when the sun's going down and you're just 
kind of out in the pasture, you're just sitting on a rock and literally the only thing, the only sound you can hear is just like sheep and cows, just like tearing grass, just like biting grass. And like, that's sometimes that's when you're like, man, like this is, this is it right here. Yeah. I relate to that so much. <laughs> I also remember it was only after a month and a half on the farm. I went to Pittsburgh and just sensory overload. Oh, yeah. I, I just remember hearing all of the honking and just like internally, I just felt so tense and it makes you just realize how different that is. But also I, I remember and cherished just waking up before the sunset and letting the chickens out. And then just, that's all you hear the chickens and then the sun's rising and there's uh yeah, it's just so awesome. So, and the, on, on family, because you're about self-sufficiency and you want to have the best quality food for your family. Um, yeah, because this has really changed my perspective on that as well. Uh, I thought I was going to live in a big city and, you know, raise my family and just the, the typical, I guess, city life. But now all I think about is raising a family on, on a ranch and just the the experiences as the kids because again i keep going back to this farm he had a kid five three and one and just watching them out there i can't put into words just how much better that seems like for for kids and i know you were mentioning on brett and harry's podcast that remy had friends with their children uh, at your place and just watching them um yeah can you just talk a little bit about that experience yeah. I mean, like it in the city, you're just, you're always, you're always fighting for space. You're always fighting for space and, you know, r raising kids in, the, in the, in, in LA, you know, you, you, I, I see these families bring all their kids to like some corner in the middle of the city with like 12 feet worth of grass. That's just, just, reeks of bum urine and there's just trash everywhere heroin needles laying around and these kids you know they don't know any better they're having a good time having fun and everything that's great but there's not a whole lot of freedom in that and I don't know if this is the right thing to say or not but you know where I'm at I could I could put a I could put a gun in a kid's hand and let him shoot it in any direction any direction he wants, he's not going to hit anything, anyone, nothing. And, you know, there's, there's, there's something really f freeing about that feeling. And, and, you know, going back to, you know, Ramey's girlfriend bringing her boys out, like, man, what a blast. Just what a blast it was, like, watch these kids just run around and just tear hell in the dirt, digging hole, like, just amusing themselves for hours, just digging a digging a hole in the dirt climbing trees and then like the first time that one of them was like asked asked the mom can can we go outside it's like you can do whatever you want yeah of course you can go outside it's like you can run wherever you want like it's completely safe out there you can't really do that in the city it's like kid can't run outside all by themselves and you know in terms of raising a family out there you know, I think there's a stark difference between 
you know, having fun and, and happiness. And that was a big lesson I really learned as a child. But, you know, I also learned a whole lot about hard work and, and the fulfillment from that. It's like, you know, simple things like, you know, w- watermelon tastes a whole hell of a lot better when you've spent all day on a hay wagon in the 100 degree heat than it does sitting in an air-conditioned house just chomping on it sitting on a comfy couch you know and those are the types of lessons that i want my kids to to grow up with i wholeheartedly agree with that um i mean just as a society now i was i mean even just reflecting my own life i had a very comfortable life i didn't really go through any hardships i was fortunate had awesome parents and family and just at the start of the, the pandemic with the cancer stuff with my brother and my mom, that was the first time I had gone through any hardships. And that's why I also talk about just reaching out to your local farms and ranches to not even necessarily work, but just to, to talk with them, hear their stories, and then potentially volunteer and then have your kids there. Just doing that hard work, like you're saying, it adds so much fulfillment and I don't know if purpose is the right word, probably just fulfillment because it makes all of those, because whenever I was on the farm and there's, for me, it was really stressful because I also had, it was the worst health I had ever been and just didn't have any answers. But just going through all of that and hearing the conversations of the folks that were actually consuming the produce and the lamb, but also me eating it itself I have never had more fulfillment in my life. And that's why I guess that kind of adds to the, the peace aspect. The fact that I had a, a, a good life. I had a good paying job in tech in Austin in a, in a major city. But it still paled in comparison to, to just being on, on, on the farm and, and having that food. I mean, it's just, it's a stark disconnect from, you know, God's ultimate punishment to man it's you know by by the sweat of your brow you must you know essentially work for your food and so when you don't work for your food there's like this certain detachment that you you have and i think that you're having trouble explaining that for a reason because it's it's hard to understand that detachment until you actually you close that gap and truly truly close it and you know, un- until you've fucking hauled hauled water in the hundred degree heat to your cows and hauled hay when it's you know snowstorm and twenty below to take care of your animal, and then you you know you have that nourishment. You're it's like wow, you, you can't explain it, and and you want to. I find myself wanting to you know share that with the people closest to me. Like I want to share that, that food with them, you know, and a, a lot of people are like, well, don't, don't you want to sell to more people? Like, do you want to make money? Like, are you going to like turn it into a business? Not really. Like I could really care less if people I don't know are eating my food. I would prefer to like enjoy it with people that I truly care about. I like that. So I'm curious cause you'd, just on the topic of God, but for me, 
this was the most unexpected outcome of switching into agriculture. I was agnostic my whole adult life. And it was my brother's death that made me start thinking about it again. But being on the farm made me really, um, I guess, become a believer in God. It's not necessarily, it has to be about religion. But I'm curious, since being on this ranch the last three years, are there any things that have just had amazing outcomes that just were completely unexpected from you since making this huge shift from uh, L.A. to to just being on a ranch? Unexpected. I don't really know how to answer that question. I mean, I think I've grown spiritually being on the land for sure, you know, getting out of the city and, you know, I've, you know, raising animals and experiencing life and death all of the time and really reflecting on that process um it'll it'll definitely force a lot of spiritual questions upon you I, I won't say that i'm you know one type of religion or another i i know that i i know that i battled a lot with these questions being that you know i went overseas and i saw like what religion is like there and what religion is like here and it's a confusing topic for me to be honest with you. I shouldn't, I guess I didn't best say that question because, because for me, the most unexpected thing of whenever I switched into agriculture and worked on that farm was just, uh, just on the topic of God. And I became close to that. I didn't know if there, like, it doesn't have to be related to religion. It was just, were there any things that just since being on that ranch, cause it's just been completely different lifestyle than what you've previously had. Um, yeah, I'm struggling to really figure out how to best ask that question. Do you see where I'm getting at? at Maybe. All? I mean, I think that, you know, caring for animals has certainly forced me to tap more into a, a, a nurturing part of myself. It, and, and, you know, possibly that is disguised as, you know, preparation for me. I don't want to say that raising livestock is the same as raising kids, but maybe in some aspect the 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 the, the attributes, the characteristics, I'll say, that are going into, you know, successfully running a farm, and more often than not, it's not even totally successful. It's just not an utter failure. Um, but I think that those are probably, I'd like to think, setting me up to be a a, a good dad, hmm. maybe, because. You know, with that balance of nature and nurture, I've, I've, I think that my life experiences have really tapped into the to the nature of of things and really suppressed the nurture, and so I'm I'm having to build a, a stronger relationship with that. What's her experience been like since those three years too? Since you said that she was raised in a city and she's she lived in L.A., has this? Yeah, I'm curious to hear what her experience has been like. Man, some days it's just, most days it's just absolutely incredible. Because it's just like, you just got to spend time around the animals to like start to learn their behaviors and like how they work. And so, you know, like I said, she does help me around a lot. She would probably help me more if I asked her for more help, but I'm, 
pretty stubborn and like, screw it, I'll figure it out on my own. I don't care how, but I'll figure it out. But she's become an incredible ranch hand. It's like she she knows like kind of, it's weird unless you've ever done it, but like she knows where to position herself like on a cow's flank or sheep to like to to make a group and like how to push them certain way just from doing it so much with me. Mm-hmm. Um, or like which way a gate swings open or closed to like, because if a gate, if a gate is open a certain way, sheep won't go through it. But if it's open another way, they will go through it. And like, she's picked up on all these little bitty things. Um, I think she's adapted really, really well. Yeah, I, was, I would be curious too. She's gotten a, just, our way of life out there has forced her to get a lot tougher. It's like in the, in the city of like, you know, perfect, 70 if it's not 73 degrees outside it's fucking 73 or 75 degrees on the thermostat in the house everything is perfect and so like the way that we live now it's like there there are a lot of like uncomfortable times that we have to go through like you know if if the cows you know step on a water pipe and break it and run the well dry and we can't flush our toilets anymore and until i can fix the well and fix the pipe and everything and or like in the middle of an ice storm when we don't have power we don't have running water anything like she bucks up and deals with it like keeps going back to just why even just developing these relationships and and just going out there can be such a small step but really change your change your perception and harden you just a little bit even if you still live in the city because Again, going back to just the convenience and how you just want to be self-sovereign about mm. just just farming because whenever you're in L.A., you go to the grocery store, expect everything to be stocked. You Everything is just designed to make your life easier and you don't have to think about any of it. Because food is a burden. Yeah. You, you don't have to think about it because work. Work is more important. You know, and I... And, and, I don't like to spiral too much down that rabbit hole, but because we, we like we do have to make money and everything. But at the end of it all, like you get to a point where I don't spend a whole I don't spend a whole heck of a lot of money at all. I've got seven deep chest freezers stocked, filled with beef, lamb, pork, chicken. We got eggs up to the freaking ceiling. So it's like we don't have to spend a whole heck of a lot of money on food and and so in, in, as fruits and vegetables and whatnot we we trade up eggs or beef or pork to people that we know that provide you know fruits and vegetables for us it works out really great <laughs> it's a it's an odd little system but it's 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 fun so I've got one last question for you so whenever you first move there and I guess having these relationships with the other ranchers and farmers nearby, what was that like at the start? Because I'm assuming that they had some preconceived notions about this guy from L.A. coming out here and and having this land. Yeah, I've never really cared a whole heck of a lot about what people think about me, to be honest with you. I have actually just very recently actually um, 
I, I, one of the processing facilities is an old, old school, like mom and pop processing facility that I took my, took my pigs to. And so like the, the head butcher, the guy who runs the place, you know, he's been there 30, 40 years, super, super just hard, disgruntled person. And like my ears really perked up when I first, you know, met him because like when I meet people that disgruntled, it, it like triggers a red flag for me because normally that's kind of how I am or I was. And so it kind of in a way reminds me of myself, like, man, what's this guy's deal? Um, but it was exactly what you're saying. He sees me like the neck tattoos, the hand tattoos. He like, like a, a, a yuppie, a yuppie ranchers, what they refer to it. And I, I don't really know how to answer your question. I just go on doing what I'm doing and I'm not really too terribly concerned what people think about me. I, I'm doing things as, as resourceful as, as I can, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen that goofy TV show with, uh, that Jeremy Clarkson fella, uh, Clarkson's farm. Mm -hmm. I haven't, I haven't been. It's, about. it's basically like, imagine like Kim Kardashian, the, like the Kardashians have a farm and so it, it's amusing to watch because all the problems that happen on the farm, he just throws money at it. And it actually just compounds even more problems because he's not actually fixing anything. He's just throwing money at all his problems. So what I'm trying to say is I, I don't give myself the backstop of throwing money at problems. I like all like if you if you came out and looked at my my operations, you'd see that I. I reuse everything that I've like found off the land. I use like old kitchen sinks as like feeder and water troughs that I like found out in the pasture, like old rusty beat up gates. I've like figured out a way to like make little shoots with them and whatnot. So, you know, that's really cool because that's also another awesome aspect of agriculture is just the history piece. Mm. Cause again, the, the very first ranch I visited, I can't remember how many acres it was, but they had an old tractor that just broke down from, I think, the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they just kept it there. But yep. that's such a just cool piece to just, because then that makes you just reflect on all of the time before you were here and how they were caring for the land. Um, it's so awesome. Far, I, I, personally, I think farm infrastructure is so, so cool. Like like the, the cattle sorting pens and everything, it's just so cool to me. I really like the infrastructure of barns. Yep, that too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciated this. Yeah, this was a fun conversation. You can find the full video on YouTube at The Renaissance.